0: You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon.
1: If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 11 through 16. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are uncircumcised, by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. That at that time, you were without Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. Having no hope without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you you once were far off have been made brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who is made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile both God, both to God in one body through, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. You can be seated, please.
0: God is good. All the, All the time. Thank you, Gary and Tyler, for being able to step up in a moment's notice last week. I'm really glad to be with you this week because I'm not dealing with that nasty bug. But... It is somebody's birthday today. J.C. Ray Piazza turns 10 years old today. I don't think, Gary, you had that one, did you? And, but, you know, mom and dad made sure I knew. That way I could let you know. So be sh- she loves people to come up to her and wish her happy birthday. So be sure to do that afterwards. Uh, she will never come back again, I bet. You and I have been given gifts, things that we probably don't think much about because it just seems so common, but we don't realize how it affects somebody else. Yesterday, a group of us at the house were cutting down some trees, preparing for Bree's tiny house, and Daddy came up along with my cousin Wyatt, and uh, we spent a good, good bit of the day cutting down trees, but in between, you'd have a little time to chat and socialize, and uh, Daddy, he made the comment, he said, You know, you never really know how God's going to use you. And I'm like, Yeah, so do tell. He said, There's this guy at work. He said, I've been real hard on him. I've not cut him any slack. But he sent me a text the other day thanking me for the influence I've had on him and how nice I've been to him. And, and I'm like, Wait, you said you, you didn't take it easy on him. Is it? He said, he said, the guy has had addiction issues, and he says, I know every time he's shown up to work that he's been high. He said, his eyes are big as golf balls, but, you know, I've helped him here or there. He's needed uh, groceries for his family. I'll take him and buy him groceries. He asked me the other day, he said, Mr. Bill, do you have $50 that, that I could have, or you can loan me? He said, he said, what do you need? He said, well, I, I've, my light bill's $149 and some change, and I've got $100, And Daddy said, I tell you what, when we go to lunch, I'll take you by and we'll pay your light bill. And he said, I've really been after this guy. And, you know, uh, for him to send me that text, he said, I just never realized the impact that I might have been having on him. And I think a lot of us are like that. We encounter people on a daily basis and we deal with folks and we don't know what they're going through but yet we may have the ability to be a blessing to them in whatever span of time we have. Now, when you think about what Daddy told me with this coworker or this guy that he manages, you know, for us to be responsible, to be a hard worker, to be able to do various things, we're like, that's just what you're supposed to do. But to this guy... Maybe he didn't grow up in that same environment, so he doesn't have those same qualities. And yet you've got someone like my father who was there for him and uh, did as he did. And so I want you to really take stock. What gifts do you have or what things do you do that you maybe take for granted that perhaps you're going to use on a day-to-day basis? And when you encounter somebody, it might be a blessing to them. I think everybody is capable of kindness I don't think everybody actually shows it but you know when you think about your waiters and your waitresses you know how do you talk to them or the the people at the cash register I I know a lot of times you have the self-checkout things and you know that's another thing but when you deal with different people how will they have been left by you Look in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. We're going to go to Ephesians in a second, but I want to look at this passage in Romans 12. Uh, If you're using a pew Bible, the page is 1748. And when you get to Romans 12, I want you to find verse 6. We're going to read verses uh, 6 through 8. Romans 12, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, when you look at these, you go, a lot of these, maybe with the exception of prophecy, and that could be debated, but a lot of these are like natural things. You know, what is an exhorter? Somebody who may encourage or uplift others or really motivate people? I mean, there are a lot of folks that are like that. And you go, well, that's just kind of a common thing. Yeah, but you can use it, and there are people who don't live in your life or with your circumstances where you can be a blessing. So here's the point. Let's go to Ephesians 2 now. The point of this is... God graced Israel with the law. Rather than it being a blessing as He intended it to be, they used it in a way to say we are better than everybody else. And that's the cautionary tale we have to take. The things that we have, let us use them in a way to bless others and not say, well, I'm better than this person because I happen to do it this way. Ephesians chapter 2 in the Pew Bible, 1796 Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So just as a couple of weeks ago, Paul sets it up by saying, here's the hopelessness of the situation. He did that beginning chapter two, and then he goes to show the hope and the blessings that we've been given by God. So in verse 11, he's saying, remember your past, how you were alienated from the Jews because of the law. Now, these points became a point of social division, and you're not going to be surprised when I tell you that the Associated Press has reported that Americans are more divided than ever. It's no longer limited to conservative versus liberal or Democrat versus Republican. It extends to rural versus urban, climate doubters versus believers. And they go on to say bathrooms are now battlefields and borders are battle lines. Age-old answers are now topics of debate, such as what is a woman? Traditional values are seen as antiquated and mocked. And then you have some on another side who hold untraditional ideas and some folks look at them and say they're snowflakes and they're triggered and these are all these words that we use but we have division among us just as citizens of this country but the thing is do we behave more christianly as we should or do we behave more as just somebody else do we contribute to the vitriol or do we say it's stopping here with me? God intended Israel to be a light. And the hope of the law, all of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all those books, and the commandments was so that if they kept that covenant, they would be blessed as a result. It's one of my favorite parts of Deuteronomy is towards the end, you have Moses saying, okay, here are the commandments. If you keep the commandments, here are all the blessings that God will give you. And then... On the tail end of that, he says, if you don't keep the covenant, here are all the curses with which God will curse you. And so he says to them in a manner of speaking, and I love the way that he says it, he says, I have presented to you life. I have presented to you death. I have presented to you lightness and darkness. And he says to Israel, choose life. And so the Pope was, as you keep the covenant, you will be blessed. And all the nations will say, why is this little bitty country so blessed? And then Israel could say, because of the God of Israel. And as much Isaiah said this, Isaiah pointed out that, uh, there we go. Isaiah says, indeed he says, it is too, excuse me, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Israel, this is your goal. Your goal is to keep the covenant, be blessed as a result, and you will be a light to the world. But they failed at that miserably. That was God's purpose for the law. But it became a point of division. Israel said, we have this law. We keep this covenant with God. The rest of you are just savages. And so rather than using it the way that God intended it to be used, they weaponized it. It's kind of like when people take the Bible and weaponize it. And folks have been doing that for centuries. They'll take it and miss the entire point of it but they'll pick out little nuggets here or there, and they're going to use it in a very, very dangerous way. So there was the highlighted alienation of the Gentiles, but still against this backdrop, Jesus, through the law, reconciles all humanity to himself. So you look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, last time, two weeks ago, there was a statement. Paul lays out the hopelessness of the whole scenario. And then he says, but God. On this occasion, in verse 13, he doesn't say, but God, but he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of God, of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And this wall is, verse 15 and 16, he abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death The enmity. So you have the two that are now one the church, the body of Christ. And if we as Christians would only come to Jesus, a lot of the divisions that we have that exist, if we made Jesus top priority, those things wouldn't matter as much as we make them out to matter. That isn't to say that we compromise or that we don't stand for what's right. It's just that, you know, if you want to call the sky yellow, go ahead. What does it really matter? Not a whole lot. But sometimes we like to take the molehills and turn them into mountains. Now, verses 17 and 18. He came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So you have verse 17 that's like a victory shout, verse 18 that's like a celebration. But I want you to notice when he says we have access, uh, that term was often used about bringing offerings to the temple. And so i got to point this out because in the next verses, he, he gives us an outlay of the temple. So you see that white part there in the middle? There you have the temple. All of the brown part around it, the Gentiles could go in that part, but they couldn't go into that white part. Right? That's reserved for Israel. So right to the right, when you go up into that white part right there, only Israelite men and women could be there. But then you get closer to the temple, and then only Israelite men could be there. So you've got this separation of the Israelite men from the Israelite women, of Israel as a whole from the Gentiles. And so look at what Paul says going forward, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So using this temple imagery... Paul says there's no longer these different sections to where some of you have to stay there and some of us can go pretty, pretty close. That doesn't exist anymore. We're all on equal ground. And the base of the cross, that ground there is level. There's nobody who's better than anybody else. And I think sometimes one of the mistakes that Christians make when we look at them, whoever they are, is we think just how great we are and how miserable, and lost, and bad, and degenerate, and immoral, and you add whatever other words you want to add to it, they are. But here's the thing. Many of us have some of them as co-workers, as relatives, maybe even friends. You know, the worst thing... To hear when you invite a person to church is, uh, I don't think I'd belong there. Well, why not? I don't know. They're just different, you know. I wish you could hear some of the things people have told me about Glendale that I know not to be true. I've had someone say, "I just wouldn't fit in there," and of course I go, "Well, why is that?" I don't know. Those people—they're just too high nosed. I mean, Jacob is, but he's like six foot seven, you know. But you know what they mean? High nose. They mean they think we're better than everybody else. We got our noses in there. Look, I said, really? Why do you? Why do you believe that? You know? And they'll. It's rarely because they've ever been here, but it's what they've heard. I remember the first year I was here, uh, going to a Rotary meeting, and one of the guys came up to me. He said. I'm kind of surprised you're the preacher at Glendale. I said, well, why is that? He said, because you have a sense of humor. I'm like, well, they do too. So people have a perception of us outside of these walls. Doesn't mean that it's always right, but it also doesn't mean that it's always wrong. So when I meet a person or when I'm interacting with a person, when I leave them, have I left them better off? There's no need for me to think I'm better than anybody else. I am a sinner, saved by the grace of God, undeserving of that gift, but so very thankful that it was offered. There doesn't need to be any more division. I know we'll come with our different experiences, we'll come with our different perspectives, and that's fine. But when you look at the division that exists in the world, it should not be a reality in the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is pointing out. If you are Jewish, you are a Christian still. If you are not Jewish, you are a Christian still. If you are Greek or Roman or some other Egyptian, you are a Christian. The divisions that exist should no longer exist. Usually every New Year's Eve at the turn of the year, people worldwide sing a Scottish song composed by the 18th century National poet of Scotland, Robbie Burns. Should old acquaintance be for God and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be for God and old Lang Syne? For old Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. Most of us know it. Many of us have sang it. Probably very few of us know what is an old Lang Syne, right? What is that? The words, should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind, let's forget the past. Let's let bygones be gone. Let's just let it go. Should old acquaintance be forgot for old lang syne, for old time's sake? We'll take a cup of kindness yet. We'll reconcile. I mean, that's, that's the attitude that it should be. Lay down the arms. Quit fighting the battles. And rather than bitter hostility, we bury the past commune with one another, and this is somewhat what God does. If anyone has a right to hold anything against anybody, it's God and our sins against us, but He freely forgives. So us being so blessed to have that forgiveness, let's give it to others. Let's pass that on. He doesn't bury the past so much as He acquits us of all the charges, charges we are honestly guilty of. He puts us in good standing with Him through His Son, and any barrier we've allowed to keep us apart no longer exists. Don't ever think for a second that you sinned so greatly that God can never forgive you. Don't you ever think for a second you are such a bad person that there's no way you could ever be sinless. God makes us sinless, wiping the slate clean. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're American or Haitian or Indian or whatever the case is. Jesus makes peace with us. He causes us to make peace with one another. And that's why we participate in this Lord's Supper. One of many reasons to remember what our Savior gave. But also, when you sit down and you have a meal with people, you're sharing with them. And so we come and we partake of the Lord's Supper as one people because there are no hostilities and there are no divisions. But there is forgiveness. There is grace. That's what we've been given, and that's what we should give as well. Be a giver of forgiveness, of grace. Be a blessing in the life of someone. When you find a person, if they're in a bad state, leave them better off than when you found them. That's what we're to do. That's who we are as a people and what we're supposed to be about. Let's stand and sing together.